Good morning. Good morning, my friends. Friends, both in the room and online, man, you guys are into it today. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I love being here, love being with you, love being with my family, and uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We've got to be thankful for a church that so many of you are tuning in online, some of you are all over the world right now watching us. Thankful to be one church in many locations. We've got a group of people meeting right now in West St. John. We've got a group of people meeting right now in Halifax. Like, isn't it amazing what God is doing in our church, in our body? Like, it really is. There's thousands of people now that call our church home and when, what, what a blessing and an honor and a privilege that is to get to be a part of this. So I'm excited about it. I don't know if you are and I'm excited to be here to be a part of this Revelation series. Have you guys been enjoying this series that we've been in for the last few weeks? Yeah, it's been amazing, hasn't it? I've been learning a ton. I hope that you have as well. And if you're new to us and you're just sort of joining in, this is our sixth week of the series. We're on the fifth letter to the fifth church. And again, like we've been sort of working through the first couple of chapters of Revelation. There's seven letters to seven churches. This week, we're on the church of Sardis, the fifth letter to the fifth church. All right, we were in this for six weeks and we've made it all the way to chapter three of Revelation. So we're just moving at lightning speed here. All right, like we are, we are burning through this book. But uh, it's a tradition we've had every week when we've cracked open a new letter is that we've read it aloud. You remember why that is? Because in chapter one of Revelation, it says those who read these words, even those who read these words aloud and listen to them and heed what it says will receive what? A blessing, right? And I don't know about you, but I can't afford to leave any extra blessings on the table. Like I need as much of that in my life as I can get. So there's a chance for a blessing. We're going to take it. Amen. We're going to do it. So we're going to read this out loud together is what we're going to do today. Now, I know for some of you in the back, you might have to get some binoculars. This might be a little bit small for you. Might not work at all. I don't know. Let's see. Magic. There we go. Just took the two-hand technique, I guess. So I'm going to pull this up for you. We're in Revelation chapter 3. So in the back, you can follow along on your phone. We're in the New Living Translation. So you can pull it up on your phone if you like. But let us read this together in one loud, strong voice. Let's do it. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things that you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. You're doing great. Keep going. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Amen. Read it and be blessed, church. So we are at the church in Sardis today, and you heard it there in the very beginning. I know sometimes when we're reading something out loud, we're not processing what we're reading, but this is a church that had a reputation for being alive, correct? But in actuality, John is saying here in this letter that they're dead. They've got a reputation for one thing, but reality tells a different story, all right? I couldn't help but read that and think of the old 80s cult classic movie, A Weekend at Bernie's. Anybody remember that? 
It's a classic now. I'm not recommending that you go watch it because it's been a long time. Like, let's just be honest. We've all seen it. But like, there's a, there's a, there's a story in that movie, if you haven't, where there's basically two guys get caught up in an insurance fraud scheme and their boss, Bernie, is behind the whole thing. And Bernie gets whacked by the mobsters, all right? And he's like dead at the beginning of the movie. And these guys don't know what to do. And they're all confused and scared. So they put sunglasses on his body and proceed to drag him around throughout the movie, the rest of the movie, pretending everywhere they go, like Bernie's actually still alive. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And so everywhere they go, people are like, oh, Bernie, Bernie's the greatest, man. They're like giving him massages and high fives and Bernie's the life of the party and we love this guy so much and isn't he great? He's so much fun and Bernie is dead as a doornail the entire time. Like pushing up daisies, slow music and flowers. He's got a reputation for being a great guy, a fun guy, and a live guy, but the reality is, is Bernie is toast, Right? And I don't think, actually, I'm positive that John was not thinking about the weekend at Bernie's when he wrote this letter to the church in Sardis. But I can't help but see the similarities there because this is a church with a reputation for being alive, but in actuality, they're dead. They had a reputation for doing all the right things, but in actuality, none of it was true. And it's interesting because the parallels that John is drawing with a church in Sardis are very similar to the history of this city of Sardis. Can I give you a quick history lesson a little bit this morning? Can I do that? All right. Awesome. I was going to do it anyway, but thanks for the permission. I appreciate it. Um, here's what was happening in Sardis. 700 years before John wrote this letter of Revelation, Sardis was one of the most powerful, one of the most wealthy, one of the most uh, strongly fortified cities in all of that region. Like this is who Sardis was, right? They were literally, if you look up pictures of it, like they were literally built into the side of a mountain. So it was up this really steep, really narrow passageway was the only entry in and out of Sardis. And so it made it so they were very extremely difficult to siege as, a, as an enemy that was coming in and trying to take over the city. There was only one very, very narrow passageway to get up there. It was a lot of work just to walk up that path. The rest of the city was literally surrounded by these sheer cliff faces. And back then they didn't have helicopters or anything like that. So there was like literally no way to get into the city other than to this one narrow passageway, which made it very easy to defend. They were very wealthy. They were very opulent. There was so much life and trade industry that was happening in the city of Sardis. It was just a great place to be, all right? Everything was going well. These people had it all going on. They thought they were invincible until they weren't, right? That's the way the story always goes. Everything's great until it's not. And then one day, history tells that there was an enemy. And I don't have time to get into all the history and all of that, but there was an enemy that was trying to siege the city and they couldn't figure it out and they were camped around the base of the mountain. And one of their soldiers, one single man, had the guts, had the bravery to literally scale that sheer cliff face. And he climbed up there and he was able to discover when he got to the top that there was no one watching the cliffs, there was no one watching the walls. He was able to drop down in the shadows, sneak through the city, open the gates from the inside, allow his friends to come in and the city fell to siege for the first time. Changed everything in Sardis. And then new people ruled the city for 150 years and then the same exact thing happened again. They, they grew complacent. They grew too comfortable. They stopped watching. They stopped paying attention to their surroundings. And another guy from another army was able to scale those cliffs and drop in behind the walls. The exact same thing happened again. So this was a city that was once great, was once invincible, that once could do no wrong, had got comfortable and complacent, and had now fallen into death and decay. And the same exact thing was true for the church in Sardis, that once things were going well, they had a reputation for being alive, right? You don't just get a reputation without at one point having some goods to back it up, 
Amen? Like at some point they were doing the right thing. If you've been here throughout the series, you know every week we've seen a praise for the church. We've seen a problem in the church. We've seen a procedure to fix the problem. And then we've seen a promise, right? So the praise for Sardis, if there was one, and I admit it's a little bit weak, it's very quick. It just says, you have a reputation for being alive. You're actually dead, but you have a reputation for being alive. So we'll, let's start there, all right? At some point, you did something right to get a good reputation. To get a good reputation, you did something right at some point. And you guys are smart enough to know that your reputation is what you do when people are watching, right? Your character is what you do when it's just you. Like what you do when you're by yourself and who you are when you're by yourself, that's who we really are. A reputation doesn't matter for much if we can't back it up. A reputation is good. We should strive to have a good reputation. We should desire to have a good reputation, but we've got to have the goods to back it up, right? some point, the church in Sardis was doing the right things, but they let it slip, and they slipped into this, this place where something had distracted them. Something had caused them to lose sight of the most important thing. They'd allowed the enemies to scale the walls of their hearts and of their minds, and they lost their focus. They got distracted, and things got messed up. There's this real contrast between past splendor and present decay in both the city and the church of Sardis. Things had once been well and now they weren't. And here's the thing is that the church let their guard down just like the city let its guard down. And for us today, I think a word of, of warning and advice to us from this letter is that we cannot let our guard down. Anything else in our lives that we look to, that we trust, that we depend on, that we try to gain some sort of validation, some sort of meaning, some sort of joy or contentment or hope from it, anything in our lives other than Jesus will ultimately lead to death. Even the good stuff, all right? And I know that's weighty, but just, just, you can challenge me on that later. I feel free, but I believe it's true. Anything else in your life aside from Jesus will ultimately lead to death. And at some point, the church in Sardis lost sight of that. They had a great reputation, but the problem was, you know exactly what it was, right? There's a scripture for you again. The problem was there was actually death in their hearts. They had a reputation for being alive, but they didn't have the goods to back it up. They'd lost sight of what was most important to them, right? It says it right here in the first verse 1 of Revelation. Where is it? I'm going to highlight it for you just in, case, just in case you forget it. But you are, say it. Say it again. There you go. Just making sure you're still awake and you're still with me, right? Like you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. Here's the thing is that they let their guard down. They got a little comfortable. They got a little complacent. Things were going so well. Things were so going so good. Like, man, we're an amazing church in an amazing city. What would happen when we reached our goals if we just stopped and said, you know what? I'm good right here. Like, I'm happy with the way things are right now. My friend, Jim Gaffigan, I wish he was my friend, but he's a comedian. Some of you may know him. I just saw him at the Harbor Station not too long ago. He's got a great bit about going to the gym. And he talks about going to the gym, and you always see the people there that have, like, they obviously spend a lot of time there, and they were, their bodies reflect it, right? And you get those giant, like, dudes that are all, like, muscles coming out of their eyeballs and things like that, and they're, they're shaking, like, 14 shakers at once and, like, taking a suck of all these different supplements that are doing, I don't even know what it all is, right? And, I pick things up and put things down. Like that's kind of like what they do all day, and they want you all to see them, see them doing it. And then Jim Gaffigan says he like looks, he looks at people like that, and he's like he's just there trying to stay alive and not have a heart attack. And he looks at people like that, and he's like, "What, dude? What are you doing here? You're done, right? You, you won the gym. You, you've accomplished everything that all of us are here trying to do. You can go home and have a slice of cake now. You're good." 
And here's the thing is that anybody who's worked that hard to accomplish any kind of goals in their life know that that's not how it works, right? Because if you don't do the maintenance, if you don't keep up with it, you're going to slide right back to where you were, maybe even worse. Like what would happen for us as a church if we just said, you know what? We are good the way we are. We are good right where we're at. Man, King's Church, King's Church is amazing. God is doing incredible things. We've got three locations now. We've got thousands of people in church on a weekend. Like the tendency for us to maybe, if we're being honest, is that we could say, you know what? I'm good with this. Like, this is amazing what God's done. We don't, need to, we don't need to hustle anymore. We don't need to try and get more people in church. We don't need to get any bigger. Like, this, this, this is fine just the way it is. We've got thousands of people in church. Somebody else will park the cars. Somebody else will be an elementary small group leader. Somebody else will volunteer at youth group. Somebody else will run the cameras. Somebody else will open the doors. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will take care of it. Somebody else will invite people to church. Like, I don't, I don't need to sweat and work as hard as maybe I used to. Like, our church is in a good spot right now. We're doing good. We're okay. And I think that's sort of what happened to the church in Sardis is they got a little bit comfortable and they said, man, you know what? We've got a good thing going on. God has blessed us. Man, we're seeing all kinds of people in church. We've got a great city. Like, there's so much, so much hope right now. Like, we can afford to explore a few other things. We can afford to spend a little bit of time on ourselves. And like for whatever reason, they, they lost focus of the main thing. Like that white hot vision and conviction that they once had that led to a great reputation for them being alive eventually led to death. Eventually something crept into their life that made them think or made them decide that what was once a priority was no longer. This is what takes an alive church and turns it into a dead church is that sometimes sometimes we treat our faith sometimes we treat our relationship with with God like it's an a la carte menu right like it's a sample platter we can have a little bit of whatever we want like in, in our culture today it's a very real thing that we sort of get to build our own faith system like it's a we come if we sit down at a restaurant I'm gonna have a little hors d'oeuvre of self-help because that's that's really good and for my main I think I'll take I think I'll have a main of karma because you know if I do good things good things will happen to me and I'll have a little a little side of uh, progressivism and a little side of materialism. And for dessert, I'm going to have some Christianity just to, just to throw it in there so that, so that I'm a well-rounded person, right? I want to explore everything. It's all part of a balanced diet. It's what makes me healthy. And it's, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's a lie. It's not true at all. It's the exact opposite of how we were designed to live. Our relationship with Jesus was never designed to be an add-on or an extra or a nice-to-have or something to somehow improve the, like, the quality of your life. It wasn't actually about you at all. Like The reason we sing and the reason we worship is because what God's done for us. Amen? We live our lives in response to that. And sometimes we treat it like, a nice, like it's like a watch. I can put it on with my outfit when it suits me and when it looks good and when it complements my agenda and what I have going on. But if I don't want it, I can take it off and I can leave it at home and pick it up later when I need it. Like that's what was happening in the church in Sardis. And I want to just praise God right now and just give a moment like that a king's church is not the church in Sardis. We are not a dead church. And I don't want anybody to hear me saying that. We, like, you should pat yourself on the back because this church is incredible and what you're doing is amazing and you're doing an awesome job. I want you to be encouraged today. What I am saying is that it's possible by reading this story of the church in Sardis, it's obviously possible for a very vibrant very healthy, very passionate, very on-mission church to somehow lose their way and then just become a church that once had a great reputation but is now actually dead. 
if it could happen to the church of Sardis, it could happen to us if we aren't careful, if we aren't watchful, if we grew lazy, if we grew complacent, if we grew too comfortable and said, you know what, we're good right here. We don't need to go any further. We can stop hustling. We can stop striving. We, like somebody else will give. Somebody else will fund this mission. Somebody else will do the work. I can take some time and explore things for myself. Like that's the kind of thinking that takes an alive church and turns it into a dead church pretty quickly. It's not us. But it could happen if we weren't careful and we weren't vigilant. All right, but luckily for us, there's a procedure here because we don't understand, like, the problem is that this church was dead, but John gave them a procedure to help them turn things around, right? So for us, we can benefit from that today. First part of the procedure is that we need to wake up. The church in Sardis needed to wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. All right, oh, man, you're there. We just terrified the guy who fell asleep is in here. He thinks we're all yelling at him right now. <laughs> we all need to wake up, church. It's right here in chapter 3 of Revelation, like it's written right there for this big prophecy for us all to see. The church needs to wake up. We need to have a realization moment. We need to have a revelation moment. We need to understand the places where we've grown comfortable and complacent. We need to understand that, like, you know, maybe there's places where we're, we're allowing the enemy to creep into our hearts and lives. He's trying to scale the walls. Like, what you're doing is too important and it matters too much to have the enemy just go, you know what, you get a free pass and I'm never going to try and stop you and mess up what you have going on. What the, like, it's, it's super high stakes for him. Do you understand that? Like you being invested and you being involved in the mission of your church, the mission of this church, is terrifying to the enemy. And he's going to do everything he possibly can in his power to mess it up, to trip you up, and to distract you. All right, But here's the thing. I think it happens subtly just like it did for the church in Sardis. Like just one, one guy scaling the walls, dropping down in the shadows and the cover of night when no one was watching and no one was paying attention because you're too smart for the obvious stuff. You're watching that one narrow passageway, right? Like you're not going to turn around tomorrow and like come and have a white, hot, passionate relationship with Jesus and then tomorrow say, well, I'm an atheist. All that's out the window. I'm done. Like you're, you're too smart for that. But it could be the small compromises compounded over time that put us on a slippery slope. Can't say slope. You know what I mean? Like it's the small things. I mean, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that before. I, mean, I, can, I, can, I haven't done that in a few years, but I, I can handle that now. I'm a strong enough person. I can have that in my life. I can go there. I can drink that. I can watch that. I can go to that website. I can take a, I can take a part in that a little bit. Like I, I can handle that. I'm strong enough for that. And so those kinds of small compromises over time, I'll, I'll let somebody else handle that. I used to be more involved, but it's somebody else's time now. I've had, I've had my opportunity. I've, I've done my time. And it's those kind of small compromises that lead us on a path to death, ultimately. It's never the intention. It's never the plan. It's never no one's like, you are all too smart and you're too good and you're too kind and loving of people to say, yeah, I know what, I'm done being alive and I want to be dead now. But somehow we could get there. Like this, this, this shows, this church in Sardis, like somehow they got there. They were good people, just like you and I, well-intentioned people, just like you and I, once passionate people, just like you and I, who experienced the health and the vibrance of a healthy church family. But at some point, some subtle, small compromises crept in and cost them everything. It happens in the shadows. Every passage of Scripture that I've read in the New Testament all encourages us to live from the perspective of future accountability to God. That someday 
we're all going to stand face to face with God and we're going to have to answer for where we invested the best of ourselves, where we gave the best of our time, where we gave the best of our efforts, where we invested the best of our finances, where, where are we investing the best of ourselves? No one knows you better than you. And just have like a little moment with you and Jesus right now. Like where, where are you investing the best of yourself? If you were being totally gut-wrenchingly honest, where are you investing the best of yourself today? Maybe you used to be investing the best of yourself in your relationship with Jesus, but maybe there's been a little bit of a, a, a small compromise along the way. Maybe it's happened subtly. Maybe, maybe you hadn't even noticed it and you hadn't even realized you ever done that? Like we just make the, those small choices and you, you, you can't even, t it's impossible to tell in the moment what's happening until you turn around and you see how far you've actually come and how far the dial has actually moved. That's how it happens, folks. That's how the enemy gets in. That's how he scales the wall. That's how an alive church becomes a dead church. There's such a weight and there's such a gravity to the watchfulness and the attentiveness that we need to have. That's why this call to wake up matters so much. It's a call to say, pay attention. Be vigilant. Don't get, don't sleep on what's most important. Don't miss it. Don't, don't, don't get distracted by all the other things that are in our life that seem like they're good and seem like they could lead to some sort of contentment or fulfillment for us. But do not miss this one most important thing. Don't miss this thing that you were created for. Don't miss your relationship with Jesus and what he's done for you. There's such a weight and such a gravity on us. We can't live with one foot in the door and one foot out. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And we, and we try to do it, don't we? Like, just like we, we, we want to be in, but we're holding on to so many other things that are holding us back because we're scared to let go. We're scared to be all in. It's almost like a safety net for us. Jesus is calling us to all in, all out abandonment to his, to his mission. All in in response to what he's done for us. It's the only thing we need. Anything else we think we're chasing is gonna lead to death other than our relationship with Jesus. There are good things in our life. All good things, James says, all good things. All perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. But they're all from Jesus. Like if it's not Jesus, then it's death, ultimately, church. So this is where, this is where we're at, all right? That we need to wake up. That's the first part of the procedure. The second part is this, is that we need to strengthen what remains. We need to wake up and we need to strengthen what remains, right? Again, you can see it right here in the verse. It says, strengthen what little remains. And this is talking about, I think, that piece of us, like that, that piece inside of our our hearts like that that resonates when we come to church and we sing a worship song and like we're, we're, we're hearing a word from a pastor or someone's praying over us and, and we just begin to feel that there's something more and something bigger than us that's happening, right? We feel the weight of the Holy Spirit resting on us. And then we, we, we talk about revival and we pray that, man, God, we want you to do a new work in our region. We want to see you restore families. We want to see you restore relationships. And we want to see you break addictions. And we see it begin to happen. We get a glimpse of it. And we're like, oh, God, we need more of that. Oh, God, I desire more of that in my life. Like if there's something in you that longs for more and desires for more and believes that there can be more than this is what we need to strengthen this is the spark inside of us I believe it's the image of God that's created in every single one of us like that is what we need to fan into flame that is what we need to lean into that's what we need to give the best of ourselves to. That's what we need to strengthen. The verb that's used here in the Greek literally means to to lift up or to to, to prop up on its feet, to pick something up that's fallen down and to prop it up on its feet, to strengthen it, to lean, to lean into it, to literally make something stronger. 
It's like a picture of, of, of something that like, that, that, that we, it's when we're, we're better together as a family, like when we're, we're leaning on each other and we're supporting each other. Like this is how we do this. This is how we strengthen. This is how we grow strong. We lean into each other. We lean into our community. We lean in to that piece of us that God has called us to, that mission, and we pursue it. Like no matter what, like we're going to pick it up and we're going to lean into it. We're going to pick it up and we're going to strengthen it. We're going we're gonna to work it out. We're going we're gonna to give ourselves to that. It's a singular focus. It takes determination. It takes guts. It takes resilience. John said we need to strengthen what remains. And here's the thing. Like, I don't think any of us today would say, you know what? I don't really need anything more or deeper in my life. I don't need the deeper meaning. Like we, we all would say, you know what? I want something more. I want something better for myself. I want something better for my family. None of us are opposed to it. It's just somewhere along the way, sometimes we lose sight of it. The main thing is no longer the main thing. We get distracted or we get off on a sidetrack. And if we take an honest assessment, maybe we need to come back home. All right. We need to strengthen what remains. The last part of the procedure is this, and we're going to move on to the promise. And that's the good stuff. I'll tell you that. All right. The last part of the procedure is that we need an alignment check. All right. You're not going to find the word alignment anywhere here in the scripture, but you are going to find a few different phrases and key words that give you the give you the hint, all right? Go back to what you heard. This is much like the church in Ephesus, if you remember this a few weeks ago, very similar here. Back to what you heard, what you believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. Like all of those things. It's like, it's a, it's a realignment. It's a returning to what was once most important to us. It's that main thing. It's keeping the main thing the main thing, Right? How many of us are married in here? Any married folks in the room today? Yeah, all right. Like you guys, you guys remember your honeymoon? Anybody remember your honeymoon? How, how awesome that was? Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the response I was looking for right there, right? <laughs> honeymoon is amazing, isn't it? It's like just white hot and passionate all the time. Everybody's always in the mood. No problems, right? Everything is good all the time. Even if you're like in a relationship, you remember like there's all like when, when a relationship's beginning, there's just there's just like natural chemistry. There's literal electric sparks that fly between you, right? Like you just you just can't mess it up. But just there's just such a good feeling. There's like excitement in the air. But if you've been married for 50 years, you know that that just doesn't naturally scale on its own over time, right? You can keep those home fires burning. You just got to put a little more wood on the fire, right? You know what I'm saying? Like a fire by its very nature is exhausting its resources. It's burning them up. And if you don't keep feeding it, it's going to burn out, right? And the same thing is true in our relationships. The main thing, this is what he's saying. Like we, need a, we need a realignment. We need to check our heart. We need to see what is going on. We need to fuel the right things. We need to strengthen what remains. We need to turn back to our first love, like the church in Ephesus. We need to remember what is most important in our life. We cannot sleep on that. We cannot think, oh, I can have a little bit of this, and I can also have all these other things in my life over here. Like This is, this is like a secondary item. No, 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 no. It is the most important thing. It is what Jesus designed you for. It's what you were created for, to live your life in response to what he'd done for you, his gift of salvation in your life. We need to align ourselves. And today, like, if you're being honest, like, if you checked your alignment today, how are you doing? Like, how, how are we doing as a church if we're being really honest? We've got amazing things happening, this happening all around us, but God is calling us to greater things. Like we cannot, we cannot, and we will not stop here, church. Like there is so much more. We're not done with three locations. Like if there's still one person who doesn't know the life-saving power of King Jesus, then we are not done. 
But it's going to take all of us together in agreement together. It can't just be a few of us. It's going to have to take every single one of us agreeing together to say, God, wherever you're leading me, I'm in. I want to be aligned with your mission. I want to be aligned with your heart. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to fall asleep. I don't want to get comfortable and fat and lazy on these areas of my life. Like, I want your best. And I will not settle for anything less than your best in every one of these areas of my life. It takes some intentionality. It takes some focus. It takes an honest alignment check. All right? Like, what you say you believe is nowhere near as important as how you live what you believe. That's like a reputation versus character, right? Like it doesn't, like you can have a great reputation and that's fine, but what you actually do when the rubber meets the road, what is most important to you, where you invest the best of yourself, what you truly align yourself with and where your allegiances truly lie is what tells the tale. This is the difference between a church that is alive and a church that is dead. This is what John is saying to the church in Sardis and I think it's so important for us to note too. And I think it's also important that you know you guys are smart. You know this. This is not something that you can earn. I'm not saying that this is something where you've got, I was talking to a friend of mine last night, like you can't just do all the right things to earn yourself into favor and grace with Jesus. That's not how it works, is it? Like it's not about what you can do to contribute. It's about what God's already done for you. That is why we worship. That is why we gather. So we're worshiping God. We're honoring what he's done on our behalf. We're going to celebrate communion here in a few moments. Like we're going to honor what Jesus has done on our behalf. This is why we exist. This is what it's about. This is what, this is what we are for as a church. This is who we are. And no amount of kingdom work in your life could ever make up for neglect of the king. Like you could, you can do, uh, make amazing contributions to the church, but it's not going to matter if Jesus doesn't have your heart. It's not going to matter if you're not in love with him. It does not going to matter if you're not prioritizing that relationship. That's what matters more than anything else, church. That's what makes the difference, all right? That's the procedure. We got to wake up. We got to strengthen what remains. We got to realign ourselves. We got to go back to our first love. We got to remember the honeymoon. And here's the thing, all right? Here's the promise, a three-part promise that changes the game, that changes everything. This is my favorite part because this is the game changer, right? Band, you guys can come back. This is our promise that we've got right here. I want you to see it. Don't miss it. The first part of the promise is that he will clothe us in white. You remember reading that together? He'll clothe us in white. What does that, what does that actually mean? There are some of the churches of Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white. I found that super interesting. And so I started diving into it a little bit. And I found out that there's kind of four different meanings and significances behind a white robe in their culture. Four different things that, that they really symbolize. The first one is festivity and celebration. The second one is victory. The third one is purity. And the last one is resurrection. So when Jesus says, I will, I will clothe you in white, if you strengthen what remains and you wake up and you return to your first love, like I will clothe you in white. He's saying like, I want, I want, to put a, I want a white robe of celebration around your shoulders. We're going to celebrate what I've done on your behalf. We're going to celebrate that the victory is yours because of my sacrifice. We're going to celebrate that you are no longer burdened under sin and under death because I died for it. I annihilated the death in your life. Those dead parts of our life that we still hold on to, we put sunglasses on it like Bernie and sit it over in the corner and say, oh, isn't that cute? Like Jesus says, I died for that. I died to destroy that. That doesn't have any hold over you any longer. It doesn't have any place in your life any longer. 
This is who, this is who Jesus is. He said, I'll clothe you in white. We'll celebrate my victory in your life. The purity that comes, like the, the purification that happens, all of that death gets burnt up and destroyed in his presence. All of that death starts to lose its allure. All the shiny starts to wear off and like everything just hones in on who Jesus is. And it's his death and his resurrection that we're celebrating, right? It's a new life that you have in him. It's death to ourselves, death to the old way and returning to the way that we were always designed to live. That's what it means to be clothed in white. So much imagery there. And I found out this is so fascinating and crucial, especially for the church in Sardis, because again, they were a wealthy and opulent, a successful city. And that was largely in part because they had a thriving garment industry in Sardis. It's kind of fascinating that Many historians believe that like Sardis' greatest claim to fame was it was a place that they, the, the dyeing of wool actually originated. The first time they started actually coloring wool and coloring garments happened in the city of Sardis, and that's how they made their fortune. So for them, when they heard imagery about garments and being clothed in white, like they understood the value of a new, fresh, like unsullied white garment. It represented hope, it represented wealth, it represented income for them. A soiled, dirty garment represented loss and represented devastation. So when Jesus said, I will clothe you in white, he was saying, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm providing everything that you need. We're celebrating today because of who I am and what I've done on your behalf. That's what it meant for them to be clothed in white. That's what it means for us, us to be clothed in white, church. What an incredible, what an incredible promise. The second thing he said is that your name will be written in the book of life. You can see it right there for yourself. I'll clothe you in white and your name will be written in the book of life. I'll never erase their names from the book of life. All throughout scripture, it's really apparent if you read it, that there is an actual roll call somewhere of people who have believed in their hearts and confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. That have accepted that, you know, I can't do this on my own. Have said, Jesus, I want the main thing to be the main thing. I want to serve you with my entire life. That's somewhere that Jesus is, is recording this. Like he knows, he knows you by name. And it's written down, Revelation chapter 20, if you read ahead, says that eventually, one day, there's going to be a separation of those whose names are written in the book of life and those whose names are not. And it's going to be the difference between heaven spent with Jesus and heaven spent, or eternity with Jesus and eternity separated from Jesus. And that is no small thing. That is such an incredible gift. Jesus says, I will write your name in the book of life and no one could ever erase it. When we let the weight and the gravity of that just rest on us as a church and as a people, everything else just begins to become less important, doesn't it? All those other things that we hope in, all those other things that we trust in, like, no, 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 my name is written in the book of life and no one can take that from me. The greatest gift that my father has ever done for me, the most possible, the greatest void, the only thing that ever separated you from God, the only thing that ever gives you any potential to be separated from him forever is your sin. But Jesus died for that. Jesus died for you because he thought you were worth it. Jesus died for you so you could be adopted into his family. Your name would be written in the book of life forever, clothed in white. I'll write your name in the book of life. And this is my favorite. And how he wraps up this letter to Sardis and wraps us up for today, us today as we celebrate communion is we'll be claimed by Jesus. I love the language that he uses here. He says, I'll never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Just think about that for a second. Jesus Christ, King of Kings, 
Lord of Lords, the hope of all the world, the uncreated one, calls you by name in front of God, in front of the angels, in front of the entire kingdom of heaven and all creation. He says, no, she's with me. No, he's with me. He's mine. Calls you by name. Just, just, just allow that just to rest on you for a moment this morning, church, and just receive that. Like he claims you as his own. Nothing else matters. Let everything else fade away in this moment for just a second. Come back to your first love. Remember what he's done for you. Realign yourselves with what he's calling you to do. Like this is the difference between being alive and dead, church. This is how we maintain our course. This is how we stay on track. This is how we keep the enemy from scaling the walls of our hearts. As we don't lose sight, we don't fall asleep. We strengthen, we strengthen what remains. Jesus says, I put a white robe around your shoulders. We're gonna celebrate communion here in just a moment. The bread represents his body that's broken for us. The blood represents his blood that was poured out. The only thing that separates us from God is our sin, but Jesus died for that. The death that we carry, like if there's still death in our lives that we're clinging on to, Jesus died for it. We just need to let it go. We need to turn from it. We need to understand that this is the most important thing in the world. This is the main thing, church. If we keep the main thing, the main thing, then Jesus will clothe us in white. He'll write our names in the book of life. He'll claim us as his own. Man, that is, that is an incredible promise. And there are things that he's going to call us into as a church and as a family and places he's going to ask us to go and things he's going to ask us to do that might get a little bit uncomfortable that might get a little bit sticky, that we might feel like, you know what, I'm not sure if I wanna do that. I'm not sure if I, like we could, why can't we just stay here? But we've gotta keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus died so that all people in all places could know him. He wants to use you so that all people in all places could know him. But he needs an alive church. He needs a living church, not just a church with a good reputation, but a church with the goods to back it up. And so for us today, as we celebrate communion, let's make this, a realignment moment for us. Just spend a moment praying as we sing this song together and we prepare to take of the Lord's Supper together. Like, where are we investing the best of ourselves? How are we aligning ourselves with his mission and what he's calling us to do? Are there places that we need to repent and turn? Are there places where we've got distracted? Are there places where we've lost sight of the main thing? And for many of us today, as we come forward and we celebrate, this is not a sad or a somber moment. This is a triumphal procession moment, amen? This is a white robe moment. Like you are a king and you are a queen because Jesus said you were. He died for you so you're no longer burdened by your sin and your death. Like that's what this is about. This is a celebration. But make it a realignment moment today. For some of us, this may be, this is a coming home moment. This may be the first time you ever take communion. This table is open to anyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. That could be you for the very first time today. Jesus is calling to you. He's asking you to surrender yourself to him. All the things you've been searching for, all the places you've been looking for your answers, all the places you've been searching for your hope and your contentment and your joy and your peace is all in Jesus. He's all you need. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never let you down. He'll never turn his back on you. That's who he is. 
That's what he does. So I'm going to pray today. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you to come forward or, or go to the back of the room. We've got tables in all four corners of the room. Just go to whichever one is closest to you. You can come into the center aisles to proceed to get the elements. And you can take them with you back down the sides and file back into your seats. And whenever you're ready, you can take that bread and you can take that juice. I'm not going to come back up and say, now is the moment. It's a moment between you and God. Spend a moment. Check your heart. Do a realignment. I say, God, what would you have me do in this season? What would you have me do in this moment? Where are you leading me? What are you calling me to? And you have a moment just between you and Jesus, and you take the bread and you drink the juice. God, we love you. And today, Father, we just stand in awe of who you are and stand in awe of what you've done for us. Father, we, we confess of the places in our lives. God, I confess of the places in my life where I've grown comfortable, where I've grown complacent, where I've grown sleepy, and I haven't been as mindful and as attentive as I should have been. God, thank you for our church that is so alive. God, thank you for our church that is seeing incredible things happen. Father, thank you for the ministry that you were doing. Thank you for the people that are becoming free, that are knowing you, that are knowing new life, that are experiencing resurrection. God, we love it. We ask for more. We ask for more revelation. We ask for more unveiling. And God, we say, would you give us the discipline to wake up, God, to strengthen what remains, to do an alignment check, to return to our first love, Father. God, help us not to be a church that only has a good reputation, God, but a church that backs it up with, with deeds. God, the church that backs it up with the goods, Father, like give us discipline in the quiet places to know you and desire a relationship with you above all else and let everything else in our life be fed out of that. God, help us to recognize and know and understand that all life comes from you. All good and perfect gifts come from you. Everything else we're searching for is death. Everything else leads to death, Jesus, except for you. So God, today as we take your supper, as we eat this bed and bread and we drink this juice, God, we honor, we commemorate, we celebrate what you've done for us. We walk in white robes as sons and daughters of the King because of what you've done for us. God, no longer separated, no longer burdened under the weight of our sin because of what you've done for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we honor what you've done. Father, we align ourselves with your mission and with your purpose, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.